Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word given to us by the Spirit, your truth with which we are renewed and transformed. We ask that as we come to your word this morning, we are both convicted and encouraged. We are strengthened in our faith. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's almost 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus. On May 21st, it will be the 40th day after the resurrection, and it is on that day that Jesus ascended into heaven. So it is the day of ascension, and most churches would celebrate probably Ascension Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to do it today, Ascension Sunday. The Ascension is so important to our faith that it is incorporated in both the Apostles and the Nicene Creed. So in the Nicene Creed, it says, He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He shall come again in glory to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. So that phrase, he ascended into heaven, it's a very short phrase, isn't it? It goes by very quickly, and we often just kind of skip over that particular part. I mean, if you think about it, in the whole calendar year of the church, there's two big things, right? One is Christmas, the incarnation of Christ, Christ coming in the world. And then it is his resurrection, Easter. But as one person said, and I, I thought this was a pretty good quote, Easter is incomplete, Pentecost is impeded, and the second coming is impossible without the ascension. Listen to it again. It says, Easter is incomplete, Pentecost is impeded, and the second coming is impossible without the ascension. You see, even though in our creed it's just a very short phrase, he ascended to heaven, it has much great significance. You know, in Scripture, Paul has written that if Jesus did not die and rise from the dead, we are to be pitied. I would say that if he did not ascend into heaven, we should be pitied as well. But indeed, as eyewitnesses, as Scripture attests, Jesus did die and rise from the dead. And as scripture attests, he ascended into heaven. And so rather than pity, we should rejoice at this fact. The ascension is important. It is crucial to who we are as Christians. So this morning, we're going to take a look at the ascension. And there are three main points that it was real, it was necessary, it was Christ's coronation. And then after we are steeped in those three things, we're going to see what is the implication for us. What then should we do? So let's begin with the first part. It was real. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I just have verse 3 on the screen for you. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until that day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles 
whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, there are a lot of people who say that Christianity is just a made-up religion and that they would define our faith as belief without evidence, just uh, a leap of faith, blind faith. And they would say that we believe in Jesus, his death, his resurrection, because we need something to believe in. It's our crutch, so to speak, right? But against all of this, against all of people who say that Jesus did not live, that he did not die, that he did not rise from the dead, that he certainly didn't ascend into heaven, that it's just all a myth, we have eyewitness accounts. We have Scripture, the Holy Spirit, inspiring writers to write accurately about what occurred. So Luke. Luke wrote both the Gospel according to Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. And in both of them, he's writing to Theophilus. And in the first one, he says, I have taken great pains to write an orderly account. I've I've uh, talked to the eyewitnesses. I've written things down as they occurred. As a matter of fact, archaeologists really relied on the Gospel of Luke to take a look at the many things that they found. And often when they thought they, that Luke was wrong, it was, he was proved to be right. As a matter of fact, for the birth of Jesus, he puts it in as if you were with us during Advent. We talked a lot about this. Luke takes great pains to put the birth of Jesus in historical context. Not only where he was, but the Roman period of the time and the rulers of the time. He took great pains to put and make it real. And he does the same thing here in the very beginning of Acts making it all real, laying out the facts for us. Listen again. In the first book, O Theophilus, the first book being the gospel according to Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. There's the ascension, right? Until the day he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after the suffering after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That one verse there, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs and appearing to them during 40 days. This is very specific language that he's using here. Now, 40 is a number that's used a lot throughout Scripture. You know, Moses and the Israelites, how long did they wander in the desert? For 40 years. How long did it rain? For 40 days and 40 nights. You know, sometimes that day, 40-day period or that 40 period is a period of judgment upon people. Sometimes it's a period of testing. Jesus was out in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. 
He was, it was a time of, of testing. And now here, we have 40 days. Should we just take these 40 days to be some spiritual number? We could. Uh, I think more than anything, what the 40 days really points to, whether, I mean, so, I'm sorry, not just the 40 days, but the period of 40, it really points to the lordship of God, the sovereignty of God, how he rules over everything. And so we don't want to just spiritualize things and say, oh, it's just 40 days or 40 years, just a number. I think it really continues to point to the lordship of who God is. In this case, though, I want to give you a pretty mundane reason. I want to give you a pretty mundane reason why I believe it was 40 days. That Jesus appeared to them over a 40-day period provided the proof and certainty that he really did rise from the dead. Now, if he had only appeared to one person at one time in one place, people could have easily written it off. Maybe he could even have appeared to, uh, to several people at one time in one place, and people again could have written it off. But that he appeared multiple times to multiple people over a 40-day period, you simply cannot dismiss that. You see, our faith, our faith in the resurrection is based on the historicity of the resurrection. It's a big fancy word, right? Historicity. It's kind of fun to say. Historicity simply means that something actually took place at a certain time, a certain date, in a very specific time of history. That's all that it means. So our faith in the resurrection is because it actually happened. And thus, also, our faith in the ascension is based on the historicity of the ascension. Not that we want Jesus to have ascended, but they actually did ascend. We are not simply blindly believing. We have the eyewitnesses over a 40-day period And they wrote this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that you and I may have faith that is based in reality. This is what Peter wrote, because Peter had to deal with this as well. He said, For we did not not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of of his majesty. The ascension, brothers and sisters, and to everyone who is here listening, the ascension was real. And the ascension was necessary. Now, just as you and I, if you've been part of the Joy family, we have covered the necessity of Christ's death and his resurrection. We have covered that in depth over many different messages, over many different Bible studies. This morning, I'm not going to cover as in-depth here the necessity of the ascension, but I want to point out two particular things. One is that Jesus had to ascend because he was to prepare a place for us with his disciples 
the night in which he was to be betrayed, Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. See, Jesus said, I've got to go. And when I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That you will be with me in heaven. Now, now he's not preparing a, a He's not preparing a condo in heaven for us. He's not preparing a a house for us. What he's talking about is that we will be with him in heaven. That we will be with him in his glory. If he did not ascend, we have no promise of being with him in his glory. This is the first thing, the necessity. Because this is what Jesus had promised that we would be with him and thus he must ascend so that we would be with him in his glory. The second part is that Jesus has had not only an earthly ministry, he has and continue has, continues to have a heavenly ministry. So Jesus prepares that place for us both as Lord and Savior and as our high priest and intercessor. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, starting with verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confessions, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Jesus' heavenly ministry is being our high priest, our intercessor. You see, Jesus as our high priest, he offered the perfect sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice that atoned for our sins, and the perfect sacrifice he offered was himself. And thus, through his blood, we are washed clean. And because of Christ at the throne, you and I can come to him. He is our intercessor, he hears our prayers. We don't need a priest as a confessor. We don't need to pray to the saints as some people do. We don't need to pray to dead relatives that they might hear our prayers and then take them to God. We have our intercessor in Christ Jesus. He is there. That is his heavenly ministry. And you can come to him this very moment in prayer knowing that you are praying to him and he is at the very throne of God. That's the confidence that we have. That's what the the writer of the letter to Hebrews is writing, that we have the confidence of coming to Christ. 
If the ascension did not happen, our intercessor would not be there. Christ would not be there as our intercessor and our place would not be be prepared for us. The the, The ascension was not only real, it was necessary. So to put a point on it, the ascension brings us great confidence because Jesus is our high priest who prepared for us our future place. It was real. It was necessary. And now it was also Christ's coronation. Verse 9 from our reading in Acts says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Lifted up on clouds. Now clouds often signify God's presence or inbreaking into the world. If you're interested, I would encourage you to go to the book of Daniel, chapter 7. And there you will see that the Son of Man, Christ, is descending on clouds of glory. Go to Matthew, and you will see the transfiguration where the clouds of glory are there. And now we have Jesus, who not only descended, but ascends into heaven on clouds of glory. You know, one person I think rightly said that our, our call to worship, Psalm 24, really prefaced, gave us that insight of the majesty of Christ Jesus. Listen again some of these words, of the grandeur of Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O gates, And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. On the day of the ascension, Jesus in clouds of glory was lifted up and ascended into his exalted state where he, he, there's the full power, the full majesty, the full glory of who Christ is. And what a homecoming that would be. You see, on that day, the crowns of thorns were replaced by the crown of glory. And think about how heaven would have been rejoicing on that particular day. All of the angels, all of the heavenly beings in a chorus praising Christ Jesus. This is what it says in Revelation. It says, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and glory and sorry to to him who sits. I got too excited here. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This is the homecoming. This is the coronation of Christ Jesus. You see, we worship not only our risen Lord, we worship our Lord who is ascended, who sits on the throne, who is the King of of glory and his reign is forever and it is everlasting. The ascension 
the ascension was real. It was necessary. It was a coronation for Christ. So, you must start to ask, well, okay, what's the implication then? Now what? And this was also on the minds of the apostles, the disciples. Verse 6 from our reading from Acts. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were still kind of playing the waiting game. They were still waiting for Jesus to restore everything and bring Israel to its former glory. And there are a lot of people, by the way, who are still waiting for the second coming. And with the whole virus thing that's going on right now, there are a lot of people who are wondering, is it the second coming? Are we there yet? But that's not the point of the ascension. That's not the point that Jesus is trying to get across to the disciples and thus to you and me. He said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You see, brothers and sisters, family and friends, let's stop this idle, pointless speculation of when the actual second coming will be. Because you and I will not know. Now we can be prepared for it and we better be prepared for it, but we can't know the actual time, the actual date of the second coming. So let's stop that at speculation because you know what? There is work to do now. And that's the point of what Jesus is going to say. There's work to do now. In verse eight of our reading, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. Now, isn't that an echo of the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is the echo. And it says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. That's what he's telling them. That, yes, I will ascend, and you are to be here. There's work to do. You are to be my witness. As a matter of fact, if you want to sum up the entirety of the book of Acts, it could be summed up in this, being a witness for Jesus. Being a witness for Christ. That's the work we are to do as a church as a body of believers. That's the work that we are to do as individuals, to be a witness. This is a message that has gotten lost and has fallen on deaf, calloused, deaf ears and maybe even calloused hearts. Be a witness? No, I just got to go to church. That's all I'm supposed to do, right? She said, you're to be a witness. And the apostles, the disciples who heard him say that and heard him say the, the Great Commission They taught the rest of us that we are to be witnesses. Now, I'm pretty sure I probably just spoken and struck uh, your heart with fear for some people. Be a witness. Man, I can't be a witness. That's not what I do. How could I ever be a witness? I'm pretty timid in all this. 
And the fact is, most of us are timid when it comes to being a witness. A lot of people try to be a witness on their own. And that doesn't work out very well. Because by our own power, we are ineffective in our witness. But it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we become an effective witness. And this is what Jesus is saying. That the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit will be with you. By the way, remember, that's what we're going to celebrate on Pentecost, that the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the church to be witnesses for Christ Jesus. So I want you to consider this. Effective witness can only be born where the Spirit is. And where the Spirit is, effective witness will always follow. You see... We aren't to be a witness just going out on our own power. We are actually to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to move us and guide us. And I have talked to people and they have, I've seen them become indwelt by the Holy Spirit and where they were not a witness, now they are. And it's not a personality thing. It's the power of of the witness, of the Spirit, that gives you the ability to witness. Now, some people are looking for a sign, right? I want to say, Lord, um, if I'm going to have the power of the Holy Spirit, I need a sign to be able to witness. All right, for those of you who want a sign, here it is. You wanted a sign, here it is, God. There's your sign for today. You need no more sign than that. Look, if you confess Christ as Lord and Savior, if you have been baptized, you are indwelt. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. There's no question about that. You need not look for a greater sign of the Spirit. But what you do need to do is one thing. You need to pray. You need to pray. Boy, I just want to say that over and over again. You need to pray. That's why we pray several times throughout our time of worship. That's why we pray before, actually with the people who are helping run the live service here, we pray ahead of time. We also give thanks afterwards. We pray for Bible study. Some people say, well, why are you praying so much? Because prayer is what connects you to God. Prayer connects you to Jesus Christ, our intercessor before the throne of God. Prayer is what connects you to the Holy Spirit. To be a Christian and not to have a prayer, and not to have a prayer life. I don't know how you could be a Christian and not have a prayer life. So what you do is you pray for the Spirit to give you opportunities to be a witness, and to equip you to be a witness. Now, I shared this story last year. Uh, I'm going to share it again because, one, you might not remember, and for those who haven't heard it before, it's a really good story. So, a fellow, Norman Cates, tells a story about a guy who prayed every morning like this. Lord, 
If you want me to be a witness to someone today, please give me a sign to show me who it is. So one day he found himself on a bus when a big burly man sat next next to him. The bus was nearly empty, but this guy sat next to the friend and he was praying. The The timid Christian anxiously waited for him to stop so he could exit the bus. But before Uh, But before he could get very nervous about him, the guy burst into tears and began to weep. He cried out in a loud voice, Lord, I need to be saved. I'm a lost sinner. I need the Lord. Won't somebody tell me how to be saved? So he turned to this Christian and he pleaded to him, can you show me how to be saved? And the Christian immediately bowed his head and said, Lord, is this the sign? See, sometimes the Lord just slaps us in the face. We don't need to pray for a sign. We need to pray for opportunities. We need to pray for that courage. We need to pray to be equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you're to be my witnesses. I'm ascending. I've prepared a place for you. I am your intercessor. And now be my witness. So maybe it is time for you to start praying to have a prayer life and pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you. And then get to work. I love how our reading ends in Acts here. It says, and when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's like, why are you standing with your mouths open? You heard what he said. He's going to come back. It's time. It's time for you to get to work. The ascension is real. It is necessary. It is the coronation of Christ. And now you and I are to be witnesses. So three questions here for you this morning. Actually, not even questions necessarily, but three points. I would like you this this morning, this week, to reflect on the reality, the necessity, and the result of the ascension. Pray for the Spirit to guide and empower you as Christ's witness. And then let these words resound in your head, take hold of your heart, and lift up your very soul. Rejoice and witness. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are our intercessor. You have prepared a place for us. We thank you that you have sent the Holy Spirit to to indwell us. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Christ Jesus, Holy Spirit, give us the boldness. Give us the courage and equip us to be witnesses of Christ, all to your glory. Amen. 
We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com. 